Before the next episode of XJob Downloaded starts, I have a big favour to ask. If you've enjoyed any of our episodes so far, please can you click on the follow button on your platform. I'm on Apple, Spotify, Google, Amazon and YouTube. It costs nothing to follow, but makes a real difference to me as a podcast producer. Thank you. This interview has been tape recorded. My name is Paul Maleri and this is XJob Downloaded. And today we're going to interview Nick Inge. Hopefully I've said it right this time. You certainly have, Paul. Um, Nick, thank you so much for your time today. It's a, it's a beautiful day out there, sunny day in January, which we didn't expect. So I'm grateful for your, for your time. But where did it all start for you? Where were you born and what, what's your background? Oh, blimey, I was going back a bit. Uh, well, I'm 53. I was born in uh, 1st of June 1969, so I'm a Gemini for what it's worth. But I was born in Southampton. And I'm, I'm a Portsmouth fan, so I'll keep that very quiet. Wow. So my dad, my dad was in the army, um, in the Royal Engineers. Um, and, uh, yeah, we moved around for quite a bit of time between the UK and Germany. And then he, he put me to boarding school in Dover. So I did my formative years, I suppose, from age 11 to 18. A boarding army boarding school it was yeah. in Dover, top of Jubilee Way. If you know, you come out the docks. Um, yeah, and then I took a gap year, not knowing what I wanted to do. So I worked in various different jobs, including on a hovercraft between Dover and Calais. Did and you Boulogne, really? If you remember, in, as a steward, I was useless. Um, <laughs> but I ended up, I ended up saving up a lot of fags and booze, which I took, then took to Newcastle Poly. <laughs> so I went to Newcastle Poly for three years, did a drinking degree, and studied well, sort of studied economics. Come out of um, Newcastle Poly with a 2-2 which I was very proud of and the kids take the mickey out of me um, and then took another gap year not knowing what I was going to do thinking and I went travelling around sort of Australia and ended up in Hong Kong and then um, I was a cocktail barman in Hong Kong my wife was backpacking and she was a waitress there's a song there Paul if you want to there sing there is it? yeah 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 yeah. <laughs> and then I, yeah and then I ended up coming back to the UK this is 1992 and with a view to using my economics degree to become a chartered accountant because I thought money, business, finance, I'll do... And then anyway, day one, I was absolutely bored out of my brains thinking this is not the job for me. And then my neighbour, I had a neighbour in the Met and I had a neighbour in Kent and the Met officer said to me, he said, Graham, his name was... I was still seeing around where I live, actually. I said, he said, come out for me in a spin in an in a area car, in a Cavalier in the day. So wow. we, we went on a late turn in Catford. I went... You're getting paid for doing this, Greg. This is amazing. So before you know it, I I chucked my ticket in in, in chartered accountancy and joined Kent Police in nine in Feb ninety four. There you go. And I was the last intake to get um, what do you call it? The house allowance. Sort of house allowance. That's it. Yeah. So Feb ninety four. There you go. And that's my potted history of how I ended up joining the old bill. Wow. Uh, Portsmouth. Interesting enough. Uh, one of the people on a earlier podcast, Paul Mullally, he went. He'd done twenty four years and eleven months left Essex Police and went and worked at Portsmouth when Harry Redknapp was there. His his story is absolutely fascinating. I would, I would recommend it. Um, and he through the highs and lows of Portsmouth. And the guy I played golf with used to, his dad was a pro down at Portsmouth many, many years ago. Um, it's interesting you say about the, the, the hovercraft because there was a thing, there's only one hovercraft now other than the military ones and that's the one to the Isle of Wight. Whereas as a kid, I always wanted to go on the one from Dover to Calais, and I never ever got on it. But uh, it was as rough <laughs> as guts, apparently. But um, it was, yeah. 
So you join Kent Police, went to Ashford um, Police Training School, I, I assume. I, I, I went there um, in 86, 87, um, which was, it was quite austere at the time, but I think it changed by the time I by the time you got there because we had separate dorms boys in, in one girls in the other what was that like for you um yeah it was I like, so i went to army boarding school so i was quite oh, yeah. used to the dis- discipline and it wasn't it wasn't hard at all i mean all the marching stuff was a complete joke compared to what i'd been used to at school we used to have to march to breakfast and have shooting lessons when i was 18 oh, did you? I was a whole different world. In fact, I had a beer with my mate in London yesterday and um, we were talking about it, from, a mate from school. And when I went to Newcastle Poly and I said, what, don't don't people march to breakfast? I mean, what, it was like complete, it was complete. So when I went to Ashford, it was just, i say it was a doddle. Um, but when I was doing um, some training, I got dropped on my back by a Thames Valley officer when I was doing section 25 sort of protests on the zebra crossing and it, it knackered my back, which wasn't great. Um, but anyway, I got through my, my training and everything else. And then, um, yeah, and I've got through my injury. Donkey, but it didn't set me back in terms of football and running. And it's an absolute pain, you can imagine. But um, yeah. yeah, so I, I went through Ashford and then and then on my first posting, because you had all the mod things then, didn't you? So my first posting was Royal Tunbridge Wells, darling, which is very nice. Lovely. Yeah. Um, and then I went to Tunbridge and Seven Oaks. And then after about three and a half, four years, went into Intel because I was basically very chatty and um i got shooted by a bloke who's ex-traffic and all we were doing was sticking everyone on for like loose batteries under ford escort bonnets which is all very well but they were getting really hacked off with it mm. and but then when i went out on independent patrol i wasn't sticking everyone on and people were saying to me oh you haven't been too bad to me i'll tell you what do you want to hear about you know this bit of drug dealing whatever you know it works and then i thought oh and then i started sticking a few intel reports in four by fours in the day not five by fives they are now yeah. and then um and then um there was a vacancy come up in in Intel, not source handling them. It was field intelligence officers they call it in Kent. Then, so we were doing a bit of R and D and source. And then, anyway, but these are questions for later on in the interview, I'm sure. But that's how I ended up joining the job, um, getting through my getting through the getting it from uniform into into Intel, and then my career went from there. Really. So, when did you take your your sergeant's exam? Two thousand and seven, I think it was. Uh, two thousand six, and then. Something like that in 2008, because basically what happened was they split Intel between Source and R&D, and I went down the Source line. Right. And then, and then as you do, you sort of move on from a role, and I was getting a bit frustrated with payment levels for good quality sources yeah. who were propping up burglary jobs. And one one in particular, he propped up a – he? I won't give anything away, where am I? He propped up a burglary job. The governor said – um, there's no overtime for any foot surveillance tonight. The two jobs came in the following morning because basically the source had named the towers that are going to get um, burgled. I'm trying to keep it nice and polite here, burgled. Um, and he was very close to the job, obviously. And then the next day, I mean, he wasn't the brightest tool in the box because he came in, he was signing on bail in his real details and then asked for Nick and Intel and gave his, his pseudonym. Say, I would say Mickey Mouse is at the front counter. And Nick was like, <laughs> <laughs> anyway, but what happened was, he said, well, I'll give you the burglaries. You didn't think about it. I'll tell you where the stolen property is. It stuffed up a chimney, I think it was. And and the governor said, oh, well, we're not going to pay him out any money. Go and take him down um, McDonald's for a, a meal. No. And I went, is it, if this is what it has come to, 
and we're paying people in Happy Meals for really good quality intelligence because we haven't got enough money in the budget. Come on. So then I went down to a special branch, um, saw sailing down there, which was really, really good. I really enjoyed it down there. It was really different work and we traveled abroad and we'd run sources and it was really interesting. But then everything's got a shelf life. Mm. And as I got older, I realized that maybe things weren't being, and I've seen things in my career, which maybe weren't 100% correct, as well as maybe um, supervisors who weren't as productive as they could be. I'm trying to be very polite and yeah, I think, and I'm, be, and I'm very lively. I was lively yeah. before the job. I was lively in the job and I'm lively post the job. I'm never going to change um, much to most people's annoyance, I'm sure, including my own half the time. But so I thought, I thought, I'll tell you what, I'm going to get promoted because I could, I think I could do a better job. Someone said to me, if you can do a better job, put your money where your mouth is and get promoted. Yeah, so I absolutely. got promoted. Yeah. So I ended up 2007, eight it was, and I went back into uniform thinking, Honestly, I was on an early turn. I couldn't even turn my radio on. I've been out of uniform for so long. I was putting my date of birth in someone's, and I was, oh, it was, it was, it was sad. But you, you mould a team, and my team looked after me. I was, went into uniform as a skipper, as a temporary um, at Medway, and they all looked after. We all looked after each other, they, and everyone's got their own skill sets. And my team, they were brilliant. Right? I mean, I couldn't do, I couldn't do a breath test. I coun't, like I say, I couldn't do my radio. But they looked after me. Then I did a year in uniform. In, on section and then got substantive and then went into custody and I won't tell you well, yeah, you know what custody like but there's some real horror stories no in there I don't because I never I never actually did it I, oh, I, didn't I, you? No, I, I but went... one day my mate who I still go out drinking with he's now a trainer in Kent Police we were in Sort Anders together and he said to me why are you getting promoted Nick this is you, you've got foreign travel you've got plain clothes you get allowances you've got cars you've got really interesting job and I went oh Martin I said I've had enough of this Anyway, one night on custody, I was on nights in custody, and this bloke started eating his own excrement. Oh, right? nice! Sorry if you just had your no, dinner breakfast, right. or any of your <laughs> listeners, all your ex-listeners now. And um, and um, anyway, I, I I wrote this statement out, and this I won't even go into the detail. It wasn't great. And I emailed Martin saying, "Martin, you were right. I'm on less money now as a yeah. as a as a first grade pay scale skipper than I was as a top of the scale PC with all the foreign travel and all the allowances." And then it went from there. Then what happened was there was a vacancy back in Source. Someone said, oh, there's a vacancy. Nick, do you fancy going for it? And then before you know it, I was a skipper in Source again. And then went from Source at level one um, and then into level two and back into SB and then back into level two or that way around or something like that. And then finished at level two um, in Source, put it that way. So when you were when you were a PC doing Source handling on SB, had they moved into the uh, human trafficking element at that point? Yeah, that was when the IRA had sort of the threat had diminished, put it that way, mm. and and sick the security services are going away from um, traditional type stuff they had been doing into organised crime. Um, but then that obviously changed with the other threats that emerged from a terrorist angle, put it that way. Um, but yeah, we went from the we went from a what was traditionally a that sort of Irish sort of terrorism angle, yeah, um, into. Um, the, the more organised crime and then it went back after the Twin Towers back into the other world which we're more familiar with now I suppose Yeah and there's an intrinsic link between the um, human trafficking the CT world and organised crime you know there's, there's it's a huge there's a huge link in there Yeah When you became a source handler and the, you've already described the skills that you've got but things changed in around 94 because shortly after that, we had the Essex boys, which had a massive impact in the way that 
informants were handled. And I don't know if you're aware, but in 95, when the three people got murdered in the Range Rover, Tate, Tucker and Rolf by Worms and Steel, the informant at that time was on that job was a guy called Darren Nichols. And Darren Nichols was the man that drove the killers to Retterdon and where they executed the, the three in the Range Rover. Well, unbeknownst to me at that time, I was a DC, Darren Nichols was an informant in our office. You see, so the, the ad hoc manner in which he was dealt with, when that all came on top, that's what reformed or restructured the way that informants nationally, because they took out the, the, the bad practice, went to good practice, and nationally they changed all because of the way that he was being run as an informant. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. And I've got, you know, people um, that call it the good old days in whatever it wasn't just source and They're going, yeah, the reasons why it was the good old days is because there was no restrictions a lot of the time. And what happened was they bought in all the restrictions because people were kicking the, the backside out of the stuff they should have been doing. And also I'm not criticising that era at all, but things evolve and change. And I even saw it in my career in source where things evolved from having what very basic contact sheets as they call it through to you know very well very sophisticated sophisticated computer systems where but which stuff is logged put it that way and it changed and it's, it's probably changed since i left as well no in fact i know it has because i've still got a lot of mates in it but you know things evolve and, and every every generation sees its own set of eyes but certainly what what prompted me like i mentioned a minute ago to get promoted was seeing bad practice and then what happened was the team then gets tarnished with that bad practice because it's not it's one person doing it wrongly hold on a minute this team must be looked at or would dispatch hold on a minute and it wasn't just on one occasion it was on a few and then and in hindsight maybe i should have spoken up about and maybe that's what i do now you know in terms of a business but i should have spoken up and called people out but i'd seen supervisors either turning a blind eye to it in my opinion, not supervising closely enough because it's fraught. You know, if they, if, if sources are going to grasp their mates up or so-called mates, they're going to grasp you if it all goes sideways. And I saw that on a few occasions. And I was thinking, right, if I'm a skipper, I'll do it all properly. That's back in uniform and in source as well. We're, I'm not, you know, Mr. Policy, but we do it all properly because, and that's what I used to say to my teams, the reason we're doing it like this is because I've been on the back end of yeah. bad decisions and people cut, taking shortcuts and then all it goes sideways and people go, hold on a minute. And they start putting swipe cards and doing telephone records. And I don't want to be part of that because what happens is as a supervisor, and you know, because you were um, a few ranks higher than me, they'll come looking at you. What were you doing, Paul? What were you doing there? Yeah. And your name's above the door. And then you end up in PSD and get looked at yeah. because, for you know, you weren't doing your duty. And I didn't do it for the money because you certainly don't do it for the money. Certainly as a skipper or the pension, it's not, it's not worth anything well a little bit but not it's not life changing amounts of money i did it because i was getting frustrated and and that's why maybe we and i used to say to my teams as well and i'm very driven before during and after the job and i say to my teams we're going to be the best source unit in this county let alone the country and if you don't believe it go and get a job somewhere else in this force and if you and if you don't get this and and go and do that cell intervention go and bump them in the street put a phone call because if you don't get them today you might get them in six months you might get them in a year and and because they might need suddenly they might need help at court or they might need some cash or they might need some element of revenge and they remember people they remember you've been nice to them or or plopping that idea and it's yeah. no different from selling in a business now but you know that's it's and we used to sell people trust in what i'm doing now i'm selling something else i am selling trust but we used to sell trust. i said to our, our source handler, i said you could be on the best source handling course 
with the security services and going through all that sort of stuff, which we did. Or and you you might think you're you know Johnny, you know big shoes, but but if you don't sell yourself to that person who doesn't know you from Adam, they're never going to tell you who's doing the burglary or the next opera whatever it is so don't and if you think you're james bond go and get another job because you're nothing sexy all you're doing is speaking to people writing it down and passing it on to someone who can hopefully do something with it that's all it is nothing it's not rocket sciences and if you think it's something special go and get a job on the high street on section on friday night and see what real work's about yeah, and they've got oh the computers have crashed well do something else we can't oh, come on this is anyway i'm very lively paul as you can probably tell yeah, but no, I, no, I used to get I, frustrated I, in the job it's i get it i get it and i think the strength of supervision I think that the British policing is in a massive problem at the moment because, well, there's a couple of things we've mentioned. One, regional training schools. If if you had regional training schools again, if we had our Ashers back, some of the characters that have recently hit the national news would have been weeded out. They'd have been identified early doors. Um, the selection process around face-to-face. -face, I mean, we're doing this interview over, over Teams, but... It's all about online. There's no face-to-face. -face, there's no personal interaction. No one's walked through some of these people's houses, through their front door and thought, oh, this is a bit odd. There's a cannabis growing there or he's got some inappropriate stuff laying on the side. Do you know what I mean? But, but that's, what, that's what's happening. And everybody wants to be their friends. And you, as a supervisor, you cannot, you have to adapt and you have to change your style. And it's about that, come on, guys, let's get a grip here. You're getting paid good money to have a really a lot of fun. And it yeah, is absolutely. fun. And the other thing is the communication skills because I think that that is lost so much. Yeah. I just to think we, we, we've had it uh, where we, my wife witnessed a, a fatal road collision and the guy took a statement from her over the phone. How on earth do you get that added information if you don't have per personal interaction? And I get it, there's not enough cops. I understand that. But there are some jobs where you have to meet the public. And I used to say to my guys, if you're too scared to go out, what have you done this week, DC such and such? This, that and the other. Have you been out yet? No. Well, what do you think your suspects are going to give themselves up? They're going to surrender to this police station. If you're not going to use your warrant card, give it to me and I'll get a box of cornflakes in and they'll do exactly the same job. Yeah. But, that, but that's the truth because detecting, preventing, or prevention and detection are the key things. You know, making sure that vulnerable people are safe is actually going out and meeting the public. But they've got more teams of the Premiership now. So, if if it's um if it's a domestic abuse team, and I don't know about your former force, but my former force, nobody from that team actually goes out and meets the 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 public. They're there to process the pieces of paper that come from the poor PCs that are attending these jobs. Then mm. they go into the safeguarding element, and you know I get it, but everyone's becomes too prissy, and they start to they become job snobs. Oh, absolutely, yeah. And they're only own little silos. And this is not job bashing at all. And uh, they no, do a I'm not. Really hard, they do a really hard job and stuff. But it, and what happens if you don't get the culture right inside the job, then when you say to them, oh, can you go and go and do this? They're not going to, do you know what? I, I, I'm not going to bother. And I remember, you know, like in your career and, and people listening, I'm sure they, they've, got, they've got their memories and, and of incidents of certain things. But there was a skipper once who said to me, in terms of my staff appraisal, he'd written it up, he typed it on the computer. And then he just he said, "Oh yeah, Nick, what do you think of this?" Looked over his shoulders. That's just oh, all right, that'll do. I was thinking, hold on a minute. I've just worked for you for a year. 
you know, you don't know what my career aspirations are, what is any issue in the office, what I think of you. So when I did it, all my staff appraisals, I'm not saying I was the perfect skipper by a long stretch, and I certainly wasn't, but I did it for the right reasons. And I used to say to people, right, we'll sit down, we'll, this is your this is your staff appraisal, your PDR, and we'll go through it personally. I'll take you out for coffee. What's that? A few quid. And we'll take it outside of the work environment so it's not in the nick. Right? You tell me what you think of me and I'll tell you what I think of you in a nice way, a constructive way. Tell me if there's any issues in the team or you've got any suggestions or whatever it is. And I will write them down because if you think I'm not writing them down and it comes to, and it all goes belly up somewhere down the line to some tribunal, I've written it. That is an open and honest staff appraisal. And I've given you the time and you've given me the time. Not, you know, in terms of a member of the team, and everything's fair and transparent. And because otherwise, you think when I say to them, "Well, can you do this?" They're going to go, "Well, hold on a minute," or "That wasn't the problem." Can I have this course? Well, hold on a minute, you didn't bring it up last week in your staff appraisal. Why should I just because you, you know, so you do it all properly, all transparently, and that's in and out of the job, and you can't go wrong. And that's you know, like I say, I'm no no angel, but but you you do it for the right reasons with everyone's individual interests at heart, not just the team. It's how do, you, how do you connect with your individual team member? And when I got promoted, was going through that promotion process, I had two particular skippers that um, I really valued in terms of how they treated me. And I said to one of them, I had a coffee with one of them, um, I won't name names, it's unfair with them, but I said to them, um, I said, could you just give us some top tips about you know supervision? And they said, people don't join the job disengaged or demotivated they want to become a police officer but then something trips them in their career sometimes someone says something or something happens or they get positive or they get moved and then it demotivates them it's your job as a supervisor to try and unpick that for the ones that are demotivated to find out what happened and then try and rectify it by you know what i mean and i thought that's a really good tip if you try that personal the people by people right that's yeah. regard you can't just you can't just become a dci or a, a skipper by putting pips in your shoulders or you know stripes or whatever you have to earn that respect from people yeah it doesn't just come automatically and if you give people the time they'll give you the they'll give you the loyalty and they work hard in not all the time but a lot of the time they'll give it back to you and they, and they know and i'm into my football i mentioned the portsmouth thing earlier but you know i would say right we need to go into a new team set your stall out this is like a team manager. This is the way we're going to play. Don't like it. Go and find another team to go and play for. But this is my standards. This is how we're going to do it from day one. Not 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 off. Not at half time. We're going to change the tactics. We're going to do it. This is what I'm about. And they would have done the research on me before I went into the team. And I would have done the research on them. So they yeah. know what's coming to it. But not in a nasty way. But you know, I used to go in there and go right. Okay. For example, who's got access to this office? Well, people that left the team two, three, five years ago, well, why are they just using this white to get in then? This is not a drop and flop. This is a source handing office. If something goes missing or something happened, the first thing PSD going to do is check the swipes. And if they're not up to speed, who's the supervisor in here? Why haven't you checked the swipes? What's your standards? And no different on section. And people used to think, I was crackers. This is very old school. Every month, sign their pocketbooks off. Every month, weigh the CS or PARA. Every month, weigh their... Um, sorry, check their serial numbers on their cuss. Check the serial numbers on the on their on their on the on their asp on their asp. Because if I didn't, because if it all went belly up and there was some sort of incident, well, who's swapped cuffs? Where's the stand? You can see it, can't you? Yeah, absolutely. And I did it all properly. I'm not saying I'm like I say, I wasn't perfect, but I did it because for the right reasons. There you go. So can you explain to the listeners the importance of source handling and the dangers of source handling? Or the, yeah. let's, do, uh, let's ask that another way. Can you explain the positives and the negatives of source handling? Yeah, the positives are, if I give top three positives and top three 
negatives or dangers, right? The positives are you can't be, in my humble opinion, the a human source, right? Someone telling you that something is going to happen or something has happened or they've got an opinion on something, it gives you that real personal slant, right? And you can't beat that through any technical means, I don't think, no. right? Because you, I, personally, I don't think you can do that. It's very cost effective because if you go and do a cell intervention and all of a sudden operation so-and-so gets launched on the back of it, then and then someone, you know, says something and a surveillance team goes beyond a, a burglar and they, they save, I don't know, a lot of investigation time for detectives on a series of burglaries. It can be very cost effective. I mean, we've paid out sources lots of money in the past, but it's still there was one person we were paying five grand a month in cash in a briefcase for a year. And that's a lot of money. And people mm. say when I was given this sort of anecdote in the place, um, that's a lot of money. Yeah. But you think how much it cost it saved the country in terms of how much that would have taken in terms of investigation and all the you know repercussions of it economically. It was, you know, it was nothing. It was nothing, I don't think, personally. Uh, and person, I take it, I mean, obviously without going into the details, but I take it that was a CT issue. As yeah, a, as, it was, as opposed yeah. to a localised yeah, crime. Yeah, it wasn't a burglary, no, it wasn't no. a burglary. No, no. Although, although no. you know, if, if somebody came up with the information around the Brinks mat, which, you know, there was, there was um, stuff connected to Kent on that, if someone came up with the right and they recovered the property, there'd be a hefty sum of money involved in that as a reward. Of course. Absolutely. Well, that's you what think, makes you know, there's, you know, there's people give cash cash rewards and it's worth a lot of money, you know, so why not? I think it's very cost effective. And from a, and this from a personal point of view, I think when I joined the job, I didn't even know source handling existed as a, as a career option. It's, you don't just create a role for a career option. I get that. But for me, when I suddenly went, there's an option as a, a source handler, what's that? You know, it's not just, you know, in uniform running around catching people in stripy suits and swag bags and stuff. It, you know, it, it's something different. And, and I, I tell people now about career, you know, and look in hindsight, I look at the Met. I mean, the career options are far bigger in the Met than they are in Kent. But, or, yeah, and still, obviously. But I think from a career option, I think from someone from me, I'm never going to be kicking in doors and shouting and you know firing guns and all this sort of stuff but for me in my personality certainly it gave me that creative outlook in terms of the job because we could give pseudonyms put people through surveillance routes you know and 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 basically create your own policing world with obviously with very tight parameters but it it gave me that element of which i didn't get certainly in 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 a uniform role because you're getting told to go from call to call to call to call to call and it's very much more reactive. It's, it's a proactive, creative way, which which makes my mind tick, I suppose. But yeah, that's the three positives. The negatives are you get sources that if they're going to grasp the mates, like I mentioned earlier, they can grasp you up. So um, they can give false information. So you can go off on a bit of a thinking down a rabbit hole because that's what happens. As well as, um, I suppose, uh, it can be quite divisive in the force because people think you're dancing with the devil is a very gray area. It's not a gray area at all. You know, it's very, very clear. And I used to say to sources, I said, look, there's, there, this is a business relationship. This is nothing more than that. I'm nice enough and you're nice enough. If you give us information, great. We will reward you as best we can. We can't make any promises. However, if you go, if it's wrong and we find out, then we'll retire you. But we, we shake hands and walk away. But we do it all professionally. And this is not matey matey all of a sudden go around each other's houses or do something on the side. Come on, this is not about that at all. And that is, yeah. And then you get that sort of status drift where some handlers think 
they're God's gift and they get too pally with them and then they end up on holiday. Or in one case, when I was, I won't name where it was or who it was, but one of our colleagues got um, a source pregnant, oh. right? Because obviously that relationship, that wasn't in the TNCs, I didn't think that you could sleep with them. But um, no. yeah, and then she, and she had the baby. And oh. they carried on running. This is, and I was thinking, and I'm, that's one of the reasons why I got promoted because that was a case where, well, it was a he, and he was coming into work doing late turn reckies in a certain town, mm. losing weight, wearing aftershave. And I was really, and the, and the skipper wasn't doing anything about it. And I, I was, I should have said something, but I was new in a team, and you know, you, you know, wet behind the ears in terms of the job, I suppose. And yeah, you know, but that's what I never did. Going back to signed off pocketbooks, right? Okay, this is the, these are the standards. This is the values. You think you're going to try and have me, so have me over? You know, you know, not poach tone gamekeeper to a point, but yeah. along those sort of lines. I know what the score is. Don't try and have us over. And if you think you're going to try and have me over, and I find out, you're off. Well, I, I had a colleague pull into the backyard at a police station. I was working in driving a brand new Range Rover with a boat behind it, and it later transpires that the boat and the Range Rover were stolen. And have been lent, <laughs> and have been lent to him by an informant. I mean, you couldn't make it up. Did you um, did you find there's a lot of professional jealousy in the role though? Um, not jealousy, I suppose. I mean, some people, yeah, I, yeah, there was. These these saw saw Sanders sort of swanning around in plain clothes, looking like they did wanted you know could do what they wanted when they wanted, but what they didn't get on the flip side was the fact that not now. But in the day, you know, you're taking calls 24 hours, yeah, 365 days a year, even on leave, because there was no system to hand sources over and stuff. So, yeah, there was there's jealousy, but there is a downside to it in terms of they didn't see the downside to the role. And when, and, and obviously, there's a psychological, a big psychological pressure because you're under, you know, certainly, I didn't get as much when I was getting older in service, I suppose. But when you were younger, we were getting information from, um sources and then i know a door was going to get kicked in on a drug warrant on a friday night i put and i knew the officers that were going through the door then you're thinking i hope i asked the right questions you know was there an axe behind the door was they got a, you yeah. know a, a dangerous dog because if they get injured then and i haven't asked the right questions mm-hmm. and the risk assessment's not been written up properly then they're going to go back to me because i just thought oh, i'm not going to ask that question because i couldn't be bothered or, re- or can't be bothered to write it down so yeah. you know there was a jealousy to a point but i think once they realized what you did and how much more involved it was then maybe a lot of people didn't want to do it either. They like the, they like the the title, but they didn't want to do it because they couldn't, like I say, dance with the devil or that sort of perception of the role. Yeah, it's it's, it's interesting. I was a, a UC manager, so I was working. I used to work close with the uh, intelligence handlers and obviously the TPs, UCs, whoever it was. And I think there's a lot of it, certainly within in that world, where people, police officers, want to know. They don't need to know. But they want to know what's going on, and and I think that you know there's some spoilers out there that will go out of their way to undermine what we did, just because they didn't know what was going on. Absolutely, yeah. And you put a you put an intel report in, and, uh, and straight away they don't even look at the intelligence half the time; they just play hunt the source. Yeah, I mean, it's not some sort of game. This is like, you know, and it's anyway. like it's life and death because you look at some of the characters that we've dealt with in the past. If a source gets exposed then they could be in some serious, serious trouble and then yeah, end up in yeah. the boot of a car. Yeah, yeah absolutely, yeah. In the, in the corporate world, if you get called out as a, or identified as someone who's who's basically, for want of a better phrase, grass someone up in a business, you know, you might get had over a promotion or, you know, you might get ostracised or... If you get it wrong in the criminal world, 
you end up six foot under in Acne Marshes, right? Yeah. And that's what happens. And that's no, that's no joke. No, absolutely. you know, or they're getting their windows put in, or you know, you know what happens in prison and all this sort of stuff. So it's um, yeah. But you know, fingers crossed and touch wood and all that. I never lost anyone. Um, I never heard from people again, but I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> but I think the, the surprising thing about it is that there aren't that many sources in in real terms. When you think Essex has got one point nine million people living in it now. There's only a handful of people that actually provide intelligence to the police. Now, the criminals, if there's any criminals listening to that, look over your shoulder because it could be somebody that you know that's quite close to you. And that does happen, doesn't it? But, But the fact is that there aren't that many people that are doing that. And I get it because you can't, if you have too many, it becomes cumbersome and then, but, Actually, with so many people in our respective counties, you'd think there'd be more people giving information. Yeah, that's the art because they, they, there's a, a carousel of sources. They come on and off, and then obviously it's a case of sifting through and finding the golden nuggets and keeping them on board. But then they drift through their life and going in and out of prison or district, going in, in and out of different circles. Um, and that's the art of keeping a decent stable of sources and the source handlers in, in interested and, you know, the, the whole wheel turning in terms of getting good intel because that's what it's about. They're not just there taking the money. That's the sources and, and the informants, uh, informant handlers as well. But, you know, because you get the likes of you going, OK, well, who's doing the burglaries on this division or whatever? Right, I need, oh, I need an answer. You know, oh. who's doing it? Well, they might have travelled in They might have travelled in from the Met, Governor. What are you on about? I don't, I don't know that one, you know. <laughs> there's only so much you can do. But, but it's different tactics. But I know what happens if it's all going the right way. There's plaudits taking all the praise and going, oh, no, we started, oper- I know Operation so-and-so started because we did a selly. Yeah. There's nothing, you know, that's the way it goes. But when it's all go- when the figures are going the wrong way, who's doing the burglaries? Hold on a minute. You can't just blame the source unit here. Yeah. But that's what I, But look, I got, you know, thick-skinned enough and I got a big enough mouth to look after myself. But that's the pressure you're under because you sit in crime series and they're going, who's doing... I don't know who's stealing hanging baskets in the summer. <laughs> and, and success does have many fathers, and that is frustrating when you um, when you have been instrumental in a in a job, and all of a sudden everybody, the world and his wife, are getting commendations and QPMs, and you walk away with your bits in your hands. So you get to successfully navigate to 2019, which is your um, your last year. You've done 25 years at this point. It's a big step. So, how old were you at that at that time? Oh, 50. There you 50. Go. So, so you'd hit the magic 50, 2019, 25 years, 50 years of age, and you can get your pension, basically. Yeah, absolutely. What was the motivator to leave, though? Um, doing the right thing for myself, not for the job. And that sounds selfish, but I'd put 25 years in. I had no intention of going before 30 until about 2015, 16. Um, and there's a there wasn't just one thing that triggered it. There was a number of things. One was bent coppers, which did my head in. Why should I be in an organisation where there's people giving away secrets about this job when we're working hard to get decent information and people are giving it away? What? Um, the fact that the police weren't being funded and we were just going through cut after cut after cut after cut after 2009 i was thinking this is never going to get any better and um my wife's an a e nurse so i'd seen life through a diff- slightly different eyes i mean you know i'm not into blood and all that uh, skip, but and i've got friends who, who are no longer around and life is life is too short right and also my son 
he's 19 now, but he started his own business when he was 13, a waffle business. Because we very much as a family, we get off our bottoms and do things in life, yeah. right? And you could probably tell in the terms of the story before I joined the job. And um, he set a waffle business up, which he sold last June at age 19. I'm very proud of him. But he said to me one day, um, so I was, so when I was, when I, my last role was doing the acting governor bit down at SB, uh, special branch, right? And I'd done over the 56 days. So they were, so basically they temporized my yep. pay and pension. And I was on um, tapering, right? So my tapering finished in like February 9, uh, 2019. And I was thinking, so I'm going to go back as a skipper and do average salary now, pension. I'm going to go out on a governor's pension for not having done the exam. At, come on, this is a no-brainer. So that's what that's that's one of the reasons why I left. So I'm, right. a, I'm a governor's pension as a skipper. I'm not showing off here at all. It's, it's fortunate. And I had a really good boss as my last boss um, who looked after me. You know, let's say looked after me. We looked after each other and, and the team. But that's one of the reasons. And in the source world, and that was it. My son said to me, Dad, well, I picked him up from the gym in Maystone where I live. And he said... How much you earned today, Dad? And I went, I don't know, 160 quid after tax and pension. I know the pension. He said, I wouldn't get out of bed for that. I'm thinking, this is a blinking 15-year-old telling me this. I said, I've got a, to add some, I won't go into the detail, but some very high-level security service jobs running at that time. And I was going, I'm taking, not a lot of flack, but I'm taking a lot of pressure here for stuff going on. And my son's saying he wouldn't get out of bed for the money I've just brought home today. And the commute. I said, come on. So, and I'd seen in the corporate world, speaking up, whistleblowing, getting bigger and bigger, right? As a as an agenda, as an issue. And I was thinking, well, if we can keep criminal whistleblowers safe, and we've done it for a long time successfully at a good level, from shoplifting through to the CT world, home and abroad, we can we can sell this as a brand and the USP of what's your background, source handling, blah, blah, blah in the corporate world. So that's one of the reasons. So there was a few there. Life is too short, friends who had died too early, the pension, certainly, um, and and a, and a business opportunity, as well as getting fed up with cut after cut after cut after cut. I don't, really, I don't want to be, and this is very crude, I used to sit on the toilet at six in the morning hearing another bad news story about the police. I'm thinking, oh, no. look, they do a fantastic job. Why do I want to keep working for this organisation that's getting this really bad press? I want to I want to be the master of my own destiny here. I don't want to end up just doing a lot of work for someone to get another promotion on the back, which is fine. That's the way it is. But And it's 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 all a combination of age, personal circumstance, and wanting to do something different but use my skill set that I'd, I'd experienced and gained. And I'm very grateful to it for the job that gave me the skills that I've got now, I suppose. And I certainly wasn't this confident. I'm not cocky. I'm no better than anyone else on this planet, but I certainly wasn't like this when I joined the job at 24. Um, but as you get older, I've got more thicker skinned, yeah. more experienced um, in life and and um, in career. And right, okay, let's take this to another, 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 another step. I haven't retired. Certainly retire this retirement is a misnomer. I'll just, Take, I've just changed career basically, yeah. but use what career I had before in the corporate world. And they were the, yeah, there's a, it's a long answer to a very simple question, but there were a few trigger points, put it that way. So you, 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 there's a couple of things there. One, the the bad news stories. I get absolutely sick to death of it. And what I find really disappointing is that the senior management um, very rarely stand up and deliver, wholeheartedly deliver a good news story. Unless it's a PC that's run after a load of criminals and caught them, you know, there's nobody actually banging on about what a great job these 
guys and girls, you know, and, and the guys and girls on the ground must feel totally unsupported. But they were the people that started these problems. They are now the chief officers. They presided over most of this, yet they haven't got the courage to, to deal with the issues at hand. And not one of them, other than um, the chief at Northampton, Mr Adley, not one of them has stood up and said to the Home Secretary, we haven't got enough money, we haven't got enough staff. And that's all because they're worried about getting the knighthood or the QPM. And that's a real sad indictment on the, on the policing style, but they are the absolute facts. And you talk about the corruption. I mean, to, why do you think, I mean, I've got my own views on, on some of this, but I'm going to ask you yours, but why do you think people were selling your information or giving your information away? What was, what was the motivator for them? Selfishness um, and probably more kudos from the people that they're mixing with than they were getting in the job. And maybe it's a combination of um, lack of ink or relative lack of income to what they were getting before because obviously they're paying more into their pension, no pay rises, getting fed up with a job, getting yeah, more money out of people. Um, and maybe an element as well of um, friendships that they'd had when they were at school that because they weren't being posted around different parts of the county, those relationships were getting too close and had gone on for too long. So there was no distance physically between them, physically and time-wise between people that they'd grown up with, um, who they felt probably more loyal to than they did people in the job. Um, yeah, and, and in, in terms of people in the job, I suppose sometimes they were more loyal to their mates in the job than they were to doing the right thing if that makes sense yeah. I don't know it's like yeah and it, yeah, I won't go into too much detail but that's what really gripped me I was thinking hold on a minute not only were we giving information about bent coppers who were providing information to civilians and criminals but we're talking about people in the job who were covering up their bent mates who were doing that mm. I, I said to my wife I said I don't want an OCG knocking on our front door because we've bubbled someone you know what I mean because you know come on anyway I'm not going into the detail but, about but, it, but you're there, right but like... I mean you, you you live in in the land of Kenneth Noy I mean the, you don't have to go back to when the officer was murdered in his garden yeah. you, you've got um, and the same here we've got OCGs living here and if, if there was any thought that you'd have any influence over their their freedom then it places you at risk and and when when people go whether it's for a financial reason or selfish gain or or professional jealousy because they feel that they're they're undermining you, they're actually putting a whole load of people at risk. Yeah, massively. Yeah, and and the reputation of the job is, yeah. is at stake as well. You know, it, you know, we can see it all in the press at the minute, can't you? Yeah. But yeah, it just yeah, that, that, they're the reasons why I did. But I just I just got and when you go into a job, look, I remember being interviewed at uh, Kenneth Quarters years ago and why do you want to join the job Mr Inge uh, because I want to catch you know Johnny that's just um, robbed an old lady of her handbag you soon get in you soon, you soon realise that that's not going <laughs> to be the case you've got everything that goes with it and then you get to the point of thinking well we're running you know I've got to this point in my career where we've, we've got you know I've done a lot of training I've got a lot of expertise expertise sounds grand doesn't it I've got a lot of experience yeah and I think I know what I'm doing now to a point you know not I wasn't brilliant I get it but I you know, and then 
for what? People to give away these secrets. This is what's the point? I'm not on a lot of money here. I'll go back to what my son said. I'm taking what well, I wouldn't get out of bed for that money. If I was getting paid 150,000 grand a year, maybe it's slightly different. But and people say to me, well, you, why are you going now, Nick? Because you're going to take a hit on your lump of sum. I said, what's that got to do with it? I said, you know, what would it, you're not a life changing amount of money, this sort of lump sum, this golden ticket at the end of 30 years. I said, oh, do you know what? I'll go and do something different. And, and I've got mate, I've got um, mates who are coming up to retirement who, and, you know, they said to me, what's it like outside? I said, is this very normal? I said, it's not, you know, it's like, it's not some sort of like, you know, weirdo land or something. It's like, you know, the job is not the bill and end all, but when you're in it, people think you can't go now. What do you mean you can't go now? I can just chuck my ticket in. It's like, no one's put a gun to me saying you've got to stay in the police. No. It's, it's great. It's a brilliant job. It's, it's really interesting. Like I say, it's got, it got me to where I am now, but it's not the bill and end all. And there was a lady on one of my teams. She's still in the job. I had a coffee with her a few weeks ago. It's all right for you, sir. You're going now. I've got another 25 of this nonsense. You have 25 years of this nonsense. Well, go and get another job then. Oh, that, that, that's like, exactly it. I, oh, I, I vividly remember picking my youngest son up and he worked for a, a very nice restaurant in the, in the West End in Mayfair. But he worked all the hours that God sends. He's a fantastic chef. You know, we all talk highly of our kids, but he's a fantastic chef. He runs a, a restaurant out in Mission Beach in North Queensland now. And he was working in Mission Star restaurants, blah, blah, blah. And I'm driving home one night and I said, do you want something to eat? And he said, oh, yeah, I really like something to eat, Dad. I've had a long day, blah, blah, blah. All right, okay. And we go to the local McDonald's at Harlow on the way back on the M11 and it's closed. I said, we'll go to the BP garage. This is a Friday night, Saturday morning, and I pull in there and the dog van's parked outside the BP garage and there's all the police cars. And I know, because at the time I'm the district commander at Harlow, and I know that it's going to be kicking off in the town. And I walk in there and I can hear this PC gobbing off and she's really going to town now, terrible. And I think, my son has just worked all these hours. And I walk in there and PC blogs... If you'd like to come to my office, when are you on days next? Oh, Tuesday, whatever. Okay, come to see me on Tuesday. I can resolve all your issues. Really, sir? I said, yeah, I can. I said, uh, it'll take 28 days and you'll never have to worry about this again. <laughs> and, that's, uh, and that's the truth, isn't it? You know, when, when you're at your busiest point, but you've got time to sit and have a cup of coffee in BP. And yeah. the reason they're sitting in BP is because BP were having a load of drive-offs and they, they would give the coppers a cup of coffee. And I don't begrudge them... One, but have it at three or four o'clock in the morning, not yeah. not when my town was being having the living daylights beating out of it. Absolutely, yeah. And also, sorry, Paul, and, and people who uh, I've got mates who do it, you know, they're lovely people, but they got countdown clocks. I've got five years, mm. 31 days. Do you, that's counting down towards death, not your time you finish in the police. Don't you get this? So if you were to just try and pad out your days doing the square root of rock hall just to see your pension. That's towards death. And when you get there, you might not survive very much longer if you get there at all. This is like, don't, oh my, or people, lazy so-and-sos who, who got to the point in their career where they're spending more time going through policies on trying to find not how to do stuff than actually getting on with a ruddy job. Yeah. Okay, this is mad. And then you end up trying to supervise these people going, oh, this is mad. Well, really? If you actually got involved with the job, you'd probably enjoy it again now rather than trying to get out of work. It's a, it's a, it's a great job and it gives opportunity. I mean, you said about international travel and you know it's there's so much opportunity and the skill sets that you bring from it are far above those that people they think that we you and i are forward-facing um enforcers what they don't realize actually we're critical thinkers with decision makers we understand what customer focus is all the other stuff that 
industry would love to have with our with our skills we would fit into any organization but i think a lot of people lose that so what happens next is 2019 you've done 25 years you're 50 years old you've had a gutful basically i mean not to put too fine a point on it you've had you've had enough or you just no i hadn't had enough i just thought it's a the most opportune point to go right yeah no i've i could still be in it i could still be enjoying it but it's the most opportune point in my life to go and do my next stage of life that's where it that's why i left nothing right. against the job but yeah um so what happened was my son who i mentioned earlier he played a lot of football at a good level and i stood on the touchline listening to nonsense with people who never <laughs> kicked a ball um and not that i'm anything special at football at all but you know, people abusing referees and other players of the team and other parents. And there was no mechanism for these parents to speak up against it. Because what happens is they just take their, 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 their son or daughter out of a football club, go to the playground, slag the club off, and then that, the whole yeah. thing just carries on, right? No different from the job. Except like what you just saying, that lady in the BP garage, right? They just, they want a mouth, they want it, but where's their voice to, to whatever it is, right? So I thought, Right, okay, we'll set up a whistleblowing consultancy, grandly called, offering hotlines for grassroots sports clubs for parents to report to the club issues that they've come across anonymously, going back to my old world, um, and stuff that wouldn't hit the threshold of the local county FA, because it wouldn't be right. of that criteria. But it might be, for example, someone's parking the dis- disabled bay at a football club and they, they can't access that bay because one of their you know, family members or friends can't act, but it's a real gripe in their own in their own world, right? So we started doing that, which is successful for a little bit, and then someone said, "Well, what's your story?" And I said, "Well, I used to be in in form handling." And said, well, that's really different. That's really, it's not sexy. It's not. I'm no James Bond, honestly. If you come, if, and this is one of my lines I use now, Paul. If you saw me coming out the game channel in a pair of speedos, it's not a pretty sight. <laughs> <laughs> like, speak to my wife on a bloody cold day as well. Anyway, so they said before you know it, I did a presentation for a lot of money for one hour's work to an SLT away day. I won't say it is right. And my mate's going, "How much you get paid for doing that?" I went. I'm not showing off here at all. I said, because they're buying into the story. And then what happened was, through the networking, and in the job I used to network to get names and referrals, yeah. right? So it's no different what I do now for in the job. Networking, networking, networking. And through the network, I got approached by a software company in Dubai. And they said they got a whistleblowing app, right, which is like a replacement for, say, a hotline or an internal compliance system. Yeah. Um, it's, a, it's an app, but we haven't got anyone to look after the disclosures on the end of it. I trust, which is my business, USP is source handling. People more likely to make disclosures because they're in they feel like they're in safer hands rather than just going to, you know, a, an admin desk somewhere and someone writing a report and sending it through. So we partnered with them and then COVID struck. Right. And I was thinking, oh crikey. So I was thinking I should stay in the job. This would have been so much easier. And then we ended up rolling it out to a couple of clients in the UK. And I'd never met the company in Dubai. This is all online really lovely fellow called Craig who was 43 so this is we partnered with them officially sort of March 2020 so less than a year of having come out of the job um and then in October 2020 I was on a zoom with him on a Monday morning you know I said to him Craig how are how you how's your weekend mate he went oh I've got a bit of a headache and he's a really fit bloke wife he was from South Africa two young kids under three I said oh a bit of a headache I said oh, I have a paracetamol or some glass of water on the Saturday Following that Monday conversation, he was in hospital and he got diagnosed 
with stage four brain cancer. Oh God! Right, and I went. So it was a really rapid decline from October 2020 till when he passed away in February 21. Right, so we're, I'm thinking, hold on a minute, we've got we've got customers here, we've got an app, we've got. So I went out to Dubai in January 21 during the lockdown, and I said, look, the the two businesses are converging here. You know, would you want me to be considered? And there was a lot of money behind it with some very, very wealthy people um, as a CEO. Anyway, one of the lawyers who was involved as a shareholder basically lied to me out there, and I, I, I called him out and I said, "I don't give a flying monkey who you think you are. Or how much money is involved in this? If you're lying to me, and this business is about whistleblowing and speak, speak up and transparency and honesty and openness, there's no relationship. I don't give a flying monkey who you are." So I came back to the UK thinking, "So we've got customers." No app. <laughs> where, do, where do I go from here? So I looked around, and before you know it, I found a developer who has basically created um, our, our Speak Up app. So we've got the business called iTrust, and now, unbelievably, Paul, we've got the Speak Up app, which is a – so imagine a, a replacement for a, a hotline, which no one uses because it's who uses the telephone, an internal compliance system like you had in Essex Police and we had in Kent Police, which no one mm. believes in. We've got an app. So basically, people onboard the app via a QR code, which is fully encrypted. The app is bespoke to what the customer's logo brand, so it looks like their own app. And not only can they, the user speak up, because it's speak up, whistleblowing is a dirty, dirty yeah, word. Yeah, it's yeah. all about snitches and grasses. And when I did presentations in and out of the job, I used to go to teams and say, right, put your hand up in the room if you have been a grass or a snitch. And funny enough, very few people did. And I said, with all due respect, you're lying. Because you're, as you get older, you're less likely to do it. So we've we've changed the narrative from whistleblowing to speak up, because that's a positive. Yeah. But via the app, you can make you could not only can you speak up anonymously, but you can suggest a change, like an electronic suggestion box. You can, in construction, you can make a near-miss report. You can praise a colleague or the organisation. You can bespoke it how you want. You can have it in up to 168 languages at wow. the press of a button. And you can have it. There's an accessibility tool on it. You press the button, and it will turn it into a dyslexic font, a visual impairment, colour, and all of a sudden we've got. I won't tell you who it is, and I'll, later today at four o'clock, I've got a meeting with someone who is an MD of a very large company. We've got very, very large companies, and we've just finished a trial with Kent Police. We're speaking to a very large. I won't go into more detail. No, 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 fair, no, but don't. But I've got somebody that I'm going to introduce you to after this after this podcast. That's very kind. Thank you. So we're making a lot of progress with lots of organizations globally. So we are we've got basically got a product that goes in every organization across the world and there's no one else doing it. We've got I won't say it's unfair because this is being broadcast, but we we've sort of stumbled into this. So what happens is it's a fully encrypted system the user can either send a report anonymously partly known or fully known so it's their choice but they when they press submit in whatever language they choose to submit it in it goes as a fully encrypted email with a password protected pdf with the evidence on the back end of it which can include a video a voice note a photograph from their camera roll and this is why all of a sudden people are going, not all of a sudden, this has taken a bit of time to get to this point, but this is no one else in the world is doing this. And my mates in the police going, are going, yeah, because you get off your because you get off your backside. Yeah, exactly. You network, you do this sort of thing and with lovely people like yourself, 
and all of a sudden, no different. How did you get that source? Because we went and did a, 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 a you know brief into section whatever it was at Swanley, and then someone said on a cold, windy November night, oh, I remember that short, fat, airy bloke from Source. Oh, I'll, I'll send him an email with a source's detail or, refer, or a potential chisel name on it, whatever referral on it. And then and that's how it It all starts like a marathon starts with the small steps and all that cheesy stuff. But that's true. And yeah. that's where we are with it. So, yeah, we did the training consultancy. And, and the best of it is, Paul, you put your, if the user will put their phone over the QR code and it will come up in the language of their phone. Yeah, I'll, two seconds, I'll show you that. That's fantastic. So, that so is, this is absolutely this is, fantastic. This is like the voice radio. So basically, that's, and I'll tell you this now, that's a company that's getting it. And tomorrow, Paul, if you get chance to watch ITV Meridian, yeah, I was interviewed by ITV Meridian a few weeks ago on their news, uh, for ITV Meridian News. Tomorrow, we've got it We've got it in Tunbridge Angels, which is a National League South club, right? And we've got ITV Meridian coming down tomorrow. This is so it's a Friday for the benefit of the listeners, I suppose. Yeah. So it's Saturday tomorrow, and they're playing Worthing, but they've got a diversity inclusion day tomorrow. They've got women's teams, trans teams, and disability teams, and ITV Meridian are coming down because our QR code is at Tunbridge Angels on an advertising hoarding. So anyone anywhere in the ground can actually report anything, and it's going to go on the back of every ticket, every program, and then the bigger stadiums. The on the giant screens now you can see i don't know if you follow football but i go to football a lot right and if you hear or see something what do you do you go on the kick it out app you go to the speak to a steward at the front of the stand and get your head kicked in on the way out yeah or you do nothing with this you can do it in the sanctity of your own home you can you could be videoing a, a corner a free kick have it and then hear someone saying something they shouldn't do or chucking a coin and then you can send that in as a fully encrypted email straight into the club for them to investigate well, can i have the QR codes and can I have all your outlets and I'll put this put them well I'll put your QR code on your on your photograph on this podcast so that anybody can just just snap it straight off of the screen oh that's very kind thank you no no the one I'll send you through is the demo the one I'll send you through is this one sorry yep I'll rustle it for the for the purpose of the podcast yeah 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 yeah. but that's our that's our that's our iTrust demo poster yeah any report will come through to um to the iTrust inbox, put it that way. But what I would say is, and this is a bit of a, uh, um, if people ever think they're going to do, they can't do what we're doing, our, our lawyers are watching because if someone, this is intellectual property yeah, yeah, in yeah. terms of what we're doing. But yeah, so like I say, it's all very exciting and this is where we are with it. Good so yeah, you, all good. Man. And and, and uh, last thing I will say, Paul, about this is that the journalist said to me, you get this in a police force, which we will do very soon. This is a national story because you look at police culture, right? In terms of community engagement as well. You know, there's so every time we do a presentation to people, the, the, they you can see you can hear they 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 cogs turning in their head, thinking I, this is basically a feedback mechanism for restaurants yeah. or community engagement. We're speaking to people at the minute about getting into. I won't tell you where it is, but hard to reach communities that don't trust the police. Um, can't speak English or don't have English as their first language. If you have an incident or want to do a bit of community engagement type stuff, you put the poster or whatever it is in their in their language, and then say post incident, you do a leaflet drop in a road. Did you see or hear anything? The report can go up into the intel manager's inbox, the evidence evidence manager's inbox, whatever investigator's inbox. Powerful stuff. And it is about empowering the public because, and I, and I will always, always say this, the police will only respond to the information that they're provided with. 
So nice. when somebody sits here and says, oh, there's no point in telling the old builder, they'll do nothing with it. Well, they can't do anything if they don't know about it. And if this gives them the opportunity to report it, then happy days. I mean, it will it will revolutionise some, some working practices. And I've got a couple of people at the conclusion of this interview, if you can just hang on, because there's some people that I will introduce you to and we'll talk about it outside. That's very kind. I will say as well, I've also got a community interest company, a not-for-profit, right. right, called Worldly Wise. And I'm very... It's very close to my heart, which I'm the co-founder of. And um, I'll do a quick plug for it. So basically, my daughter left school in Maidstone 2019, was going to go on a gap year. And the fellow that tra- trained me when I joined the job in judo sticks and wooden, uh, judo suits and wooden sticks in the day, yep. um, is a fellow called Travel Henry, who's a really lovely fellow, very successful expert witness in conflict resolution, put it that way. And I said to Travel, I said, look, my daughter's going traveling with her two friends off to Nepal and Southeast Asia. And her two friends have never been outside of Europe. Could you put together a bespoke course for Eleanor and her two friends? So basically they did half a morning of cultural awareness and then the afternoon was physical safety, right? And I said to the girls, bearing in mind they're 18 at the time, if it's one thing that keeps you safe in the middle of nowhere, then as parents, it's not about us, we're not traveling, but that keeps you safe. And they loved it. And before you know it, people said to us well why don't you do this for drugs awareness for young people why don't you do this for gap year so now we've got a team of 70 volunteers who go into schools across the southeast and a bit further afield sometimes giving their work and we call it worldly wise worldly wise advice to young people about you know you might be 16 you might have issues going on at home you might have a disability you might not be academically able but if you have the qualities in life to go through life like you have and i have that will get you somewhere where you hopefully will want to be right and it, and it's free we never take any penny out of it we never want to and we've got this real traction now of it and lovely people all doing it for the right reasons it's really good well i can help you with that as well because i run a vol- <laughs> volunteer group across the uk i've got seven thousand former police and military personnel signed oh, wow. in signed into my social media that's just on one part of it and we promote voluntary and charities on that to see if we can get some traction and get more people involved. So if that's something you want to talk oh. about as well, we, we can help you with that. Um, Absolutely. And last but not least, you are an author. Now, I know you've got to go to your next meeting and there's pounds, shillings and pence involved in that, but you're an author. What was the inspiration yeah, of becoming an author? An author. Well, do you know what? So, so I always thought... I can't put shells up. Speak to my wife, right? What's my What's my legacy on this? What's my legacy on this planet? I always thought, and everyone says, they always everyone's got a book in them. So I thought, right, if we're going to set a business up, I'll write a book. So when I was in the job, I know how lonely it is for people when they're in a bad way, certainly criminally, as well as in the job, to speak up. And I thought, if I can write a guide to um, what it's like pre, during, and post speaking up. Right then, and it's a crutch for people at three in the morning. Where do I go with this? Because it just goes around your head. Yeah. Then, then hopefully I've made a difference. We sound really cheesy, but it's true, right? That's why we join the job to make a difference. Yeah. And so I wrote a book, and if I can write a book, Paul, anyone can write a book. <laughs> so I wrote this non-fiction, which you'll find on Amazon, called "Exposing the Truth." Exposing the Truth, Whistleblowing Uncovered, and we've got forty-three top-rated reviews now. It's been out a few years now. Brilliant. And Amazon, right? And they're not all by my mum, the reviews, by the way. <laughs> the things, right? And then, and then, um, I won't go into too much detail, but then I thought, do you know what? I'm going to write a fiction called Jeopardy. Right. And I will say no more than that. 
but that's now got 32 top rated reviews. And if I can write a fiction and a non-fiction and get decent reviews and publish it on Amazon, self-published this is, not a public, then, and I won't say any more than that about Jeopardy, put it that way, but we'll have a conversation well, offline. Yeah, no, right? that's, that's absolutely fine, um, mate. But so if I can do it, and I suppose the whole going right back to what I trust is about and what Worldly Wise is about, and you mentioned it earlier, it's about empowerment. It's about creating something from nothing, just a thought. So we've now created some software where pe- whereby people can speak up, suggest a change, do whatever they want, report a near-missing construction industry anywhere in the world, and they feel better for doing it. It empowers them. Worldly Wise is about empowering students, which we've done for two and a half years now, and we continue to do it, where one person, one young person goes... Do you know what? I had a talk by someone from a thing called Worldly Wise in 2021 or 22 or 23. And do you know what? That that really resonated with me. And you've got people in your life, I'm sure, and I have in my life where, you know, they've inspired me. You know, and I've put a oh, big yeah. bit of Nick, I've put a big bit of Nick Engine there as well, sadly, for a lot of people. But you know what? You make your own life and you make your own luck and you get on with it. And if you and it's not a failure, it's a learning it's a learning curve. It's it, you use that for your next phase. And like I said, you know, I'm no, I'm not the new messiah, certainly not. But if ever there is proof that you can get off your bottom and do things in life, post job, which is this is about, right? Or if you're in the job and you want to think, do you know what? I'll give it a go. Just give it a go because life's too bloody short, as we already yeah, know. So fine. sorry, I won't swear, obviously. No, 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 no. You're, you're fine, mate. Well, listen, I, I appreciate your candor. Um, I appreciate your time, and I can't wait to sit down and have a cup of tea with you in person. Um, I will come come across that bridge because I think there's a, a lot of stuff there that you've spoken about and I think I've got some people that I can introduce you to to help you out. That's very um, fine, thank you. Before we go any further and I conclude this interview, is there anything you'd like to add, alter or correct? <laughs> um, well, the only thing I would like to say is thank you for this opportunity um, and having me on and giving me the time and to share our story and it's not about why darling it certainly isn't but if it if it helps some people and we can connect after this which we will do i know and help each other then that's what it's about and um yeah and if anyone's out there that wants to get in touch and, and have a chat and they're not sure about the future or whatever um and i can give them a bit of a steer then i'm more than well i'm more than happy to do so nick thank you so much for your time that was absolutely brilliant i look forward to speaking to you soon